welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Champoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest in this episode is Jeffrey Stewart, Director of Louisiana Public Power Utility, Lafayette Utility System. Jeffrey, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm, I'm proud to represent our utility. Great. So, Jeffrey, um, to get our conversation started, um, you know, in terms of preparing for this interview, <clears throat> one of the things that jumped out at me is while you served in your current role, for just under a year, you've, you've worked at the utility for more than 20 years. Um, so could you talk about your career at Lafayette Utility System leading up to your current role? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'll go back a, a little bit further than that and, and say that you know, I graduated from Louisiana State University in 2001. And during the, the last year or two of my college courses, I realized I wanted to work at an electric utility. And, and that was it, there were a couple of things, I, you know, courses I took, professors I spoke to, consultants that I was engaged with. That, that really you know, drove me to want to work in utility. I was fascinated by the idea of, of providing electric service. And so I, uh, upon graduation, I was you know, looking around, applying for jobs, different places. And I, I applied for a job at, at Lafayette Utility System. Uh, my family uh, is, is in the area, and I wanted to, to, to give it a shot here. And so I, I applied for a job that actually did not require a, an engineering degree. And so I, I applied for it. And during the interview processes, I just I was fascinated by the place. I really gravitated toward what the role and responsibility of a municipal utility is. And so ended up accepting the job. And my first day on the, on the job was July 23rd, 2001. And from that point forward, you know, I've, I've been um, an advocate for, for what we do and how we're governed by our customers directly and how we are accountable to our customers directly and that everything here is local. And so uh, I started out as something called an engineering age specialist. Uh, I started doing that for several months. I was actually able to move into an engineering position. A lot of the same roles and responsibilities, just a little bit more technical. I was able to do a bunch of different things. At, at LUS, we provide electric service, water service, and, and sewer services. I really got to, to dabble in all of it uh, from, a, from a business perspective, from a, a fuel procurement perspective, from a contract perspective. And I learned a lot about how this business operates. Then I was able to move into a more technical role doing uh, substation work, uh, planning on the distribution and transmission system, and really got to understand the, the, how the, the internal workings of our electric system are and what it takes to, to design and implement some of our, our equipment and systems to be able to service you know, customers the best way we can. And then in 2013, I was appointed chief electrical engineer uh, our, our supervisor at the time uh, decided to move on, and I, I, I learned a lot there. I was able to interact with a lot more operations groups, uh, interact with a lot more employees across the, the utility system. And LUS is about 460 employees, and, and at the time, I was dealing with maybe you know 10 or 12. That that expanded to to you know 50 or 60, and, and so I was able to learn more from all of those coworkers and, and, and others uh, within our uh, organization. And a year later. Um, 2014, I was appointed engineering and power supply manager. And, and what that what that allowed me to do is take on more role and responsibility, but also again learn from the different groups that, that I was overseeing. Power production, power supply was a big deal uh, for me because I, I, I dabbled in it some, interacted with it, but I needed to learn it now. And, and so I was able to, to get involved with, with how you know generation units operate, you know, what the what the efficiencies are, um, you know, what what what's old and what, what works and, and what doesn't work and, and, and how we can move forward. Um, in that role, I was actually able to um, formally retire some old generating units that we had that were just not 
efficient at all. I was also able to help us transition into the MISO market and reliability coordinator footprint. MISO, for, for those that may not know, Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, it's, it's, a, it's an energy market. And we entered that in, at the end of 2013 and uh, have, have been in it ever since. And I, I performed that role for about eight years until earlier in 2022, I was uh, appointed by the mayor president of Lafayette and uh, I guess confirmed by the city council as director. And uh, being director of this utility is, is an unbelievable experience. I was able to do a little bit of it several years ago while I uh, performed the, the interim role of director for about a year and a half. But uh, being uh, the, the permanent director uh, is, is a terrific experience for me. I'm able to see the utility in a, in a whole new light. Um, there's a lot of responsibility involved, and, and which is okay too. But uh, you know, the employees here are terrific. Uh, our customers have really grown to appreciate us over our 125 years, and so the relationship between utility and customers is in a really good place right now. Even even when we run into some issues, I'm sure that we'll address later. But um, you know, we're we're a vertically integrated company. We we have all of the all of the functions and features of a utility. We have Generation, transmission, distribution, customer service. We have uh, you know line crews, substation crews. We have engineering staff, and of course, we get a lot of support from the industry through consultants and contractors. But um, it's a it's a wonderful place. It's been around for a long time. It, we're by the people and for the people. But that's really my my career trajectory, I guess, and then how I've gotten to this point. Uh, over the years, I've been able to to meet and, and uh, have really good working relationships with a lot of you know, industry people um, you know, in and around Lafayette, in and around Louisiana, but also uh, across the country. And it's really helped me understand the business better. It's helped me you know, understand how to, you know, provide the best customer service to, to, to those that we serve. And, uh, you know, it, it's a thrilling experience. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, you know, I, I'm four or five months into the job now officially, and I look forward to the, to the years to come. One of the things that jumped out at me was, um, the fact that Lafayette recently hosted its first electric utility storm response and recovery summit. Could you um, offer additional details on this summit and, and what do you see as the key takeaways uh, from that event? Sure. It was a, uh, you know, the mayor president and I had a conversation and he said, Hey Jeff, here's some ideas. What do you think? I said, great, let's go do it. So we went, we got it put together uh, in about two months, you know, so I made a lot of phone calls to a lot of different people and everybody was, was terrific about helping and assisting and, uh, but but what we had were uh, participants from from all three electric utility sectors. So of course, municipal utilities. There are 21 in the state of Louisiana. We had uh, representation from the electric co-ops, and we had representation from the investor-owned utilities. We also had participants from the state regulatory agencies, which is the Louisiana Public Service Commission. LUS is not jurisdictional; we're not subject to them, but we we are you know friendly to them, and we do follow them. So we invited them just to, to participate and provide input and guidance. We had a reliability coordinator participate. So members of, of the MISO staff were able to participate. We had emergency preparedness coordinators. So the local office of, of emergency preparedness were able to participate. We also had vendors, which was, was a, you know, an important uh, session, I guess, that we had to talk about supply issues and all that. And we also, being that we have so many municipal utilities in the state, we had mayors attend as well. And discussion topics, really mutual aid was, was top of mind. We opened the session with having members from APPA, um, 
EEI and NRECA participate in kind of a roundtable discussion. What's going on in the industry? How are we coordinating together? What obstacles do we face? You know, what are, what are the important points that utilities are talking about? And I thought that really set the tone and kicked off this, this uh, summit very well. Uh, it, it, I think it, it helped, you know, ease the conversation. Um, you know, we talked about mutual aid. Mutual aid is, is very strong, of course, within APPA. You know, unfortunately, you know, Louisiana has a lot of experience over the last uh, few hurricane seasons. But, but at that point, we can provide perspective on, on uh, receiving mutual aid, but also providing mutual aid. And so we talked about that, and, and mutual aid is really strong. Uh, each utility itself from the ground up leads the efforts, but the support from all of our partners in the industry, uh, you know, within APPA, APPA itself, has been a, a huge benefit to, to Lafayette. And we hope to be able to return, you know, that, that, that benefit to others or, who are in need. So we, we talked about that, and, and, and really what we want to do is expand the possibilities of calling on the other utility sectors, the, the co-ops and, and investor-owned. So maybe if we get into binds, if we get in, in a, a catastrophic event like we've experienced over the last few years, you know, do you know we want to be able to reach out and, and lend a hand, but also receive the help. It was a very uh, worthwhile discussion. Uh, you know, strengthening those partnerships and, and the communication between the utilities is the only way that we can get better and become more efficient. So whether whether we actually uh, need you know boots on the ground or if we need material or, or or other guidance or help, maybe you know contacts with certain agencies or vendors, you know having those relationships established and ongoing will make each of the utilities in the state very strong. We we talked about material supply. Uh, we know material supply is a major issue. And it's not just uh, during emergency situations or storms or anything like that. It's it's every day. And we're seeing that in the everyday operation today. And so we actually discussed, uh, you know, how each utility individually uh, can adapt what we're doing about it, but also the, the utilities collectively. What can we do on a, on a state level? You know, we had regulators there. We had some elected officials there. But also, what can we do on a national level through organizations like APPA to help? you know, uh, ease the burden. Um, and, and the burden really is the utilities burden to provide the service, but it's also there's a burden on these vendors and manufacturers to provide it, to try to provide the, the supply that's being demanded. And uh, we talked about some issues and I saw that you know, APPA had, had put out a release that you know, NRACA and APPA are, are requesting some, some relief from the Department of, of Energy on, on transmission efficiencies and things. And we're hoping that those conversations can continue but, but we wanted to make the, the awareness known to this group at the summit, and I think it was well-received. We actually came away with a few ideas regarding uh, you know, transformer availability and, and other material. We might uh, restart a program that we ended years ago of doing distribution transformer repair in-house. Uh, it's something that we, we feel like we have a, a strong you know, personnel, a strong employee group who can handle that, that task and that responsibility. And so we're actually making some, some movement now to, to get that, that done, you know, because we don't know if this is going to be a short-term problem or a long-term problem. But in any case, we want to be able to have as much effort in, in putting material back on the system that, that's, that's efficient and, and, and can operate uh, as we can, because we, we know there are supply issues out there, not just from the manufacturing, but raw material as well. Uh, we also you know, understand from this summit that we all have the common goals and, and common obstacles. Now, our goals are, are very similar. We want to make sure our customers stay online all the time. 
you know, even you know, during and after storms. Um, you know, what are the business practices, you know, that, that can help us? We know that that you know a utility like LUS has a different mindset than investor-owned or electric co-op in some regards. We also have a lot of commonality there. You know, so so what are they doing that we might be able to uh, latch on to? You know, a concept, an idea, a standard that uh, material standard, construction standard that we might be able to incorporate on our system. And, and those are some of the, the, the conversations that we had around that. Uh, again, the communication is vital. Um, you know, uh, electricity has become a, a national security issue. Uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, you know uh, supply demand issues. We've seen, a, you know, the markets react to you know, natural gas and the energy market. So there is a strain on uh, the electric utility systems right now. It's a national security issue. So if we can share best practices, uh, share those, those you know, ideas and thoughts that we might come up with, you know, it's only going to help everybody. We have to make uh, the grid uh, a very reliable and, and sustainable system. The continuity of commerce and government is critical, and that's why I say the, the electric grid electricity is a national security issue. We can't have massive outages. We can't have failures on the system. And so we, we came together. Uh, but I think one of the most important takeaways, and, and it, it, it may sound simple, but actually having in-person discussions again. You know, it had been two and a half years since we had you know, in-person meetings with some of our counterparts at the different utilities. And it was just really good to establish or reestablish those, those lines of communication, understand who does what uh, at the utility, just to say that, look, if you need something from me, here's my information, call me. You know me now, call me. And I thought that was a, a huge takeaway that we were able to do that with some of the, you know, relaxations on, on COVID protocols. But that was that was it. It was put together um, within a couple of months. We were able to, to, I think, set the tone for a 2023 summit. And so that's what we're working on now. It's something in advance of hurricane season next year is, is to hold something very similar, invite all the same participants and maybe even expand some of the topics of discussion, but to have it as our first annual, I thought it was a, a huge success. I think everybody that certainly everybody that I talked to, the feedback was very positive and they're already looking forward to next year's discussions. Great. Yeah. You, uh, you read my mind in terms of the follow-up question I had as far as uh, um, plans to, to hold a similar summit next year. So um, thanks for that, that great overview. Um, so just just switching gears in terms of kind of maybe stepping back a little and, and looking at the 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 utility sector overall, I um, wanted to get your your thoughts on what you see as the biggest challenges that will face the sector over the coming decades and how uh, LUS is preparing to meet those challenges. Sure, sure. I'll break them up into short term and long term because I think we have some some short term issues that might last uh, a year, a couple of years, or more, and then we certainly we have some long term. Um, outlooks on, on things, but short term, you know, right now uh, for the last you know twelve to eighteen months, we've seen some material labor supply and pricing really, really turn, uh, and in turn, not for the betterment of of us, you know, conducting business and doing things that, that we have planned. Major, major increases in pricing. Uh, we're seeing a lack of, of you know, labor supply. We're seeing the materials uh, you know, supply fall short. What that's done is, is for a lot of our capital projects, we've doubled our budgets. And so we had an estimated budget that I thought was very current, very real. We, we did the process, we, we did the project, we did the material, and it's coming back double, sometimes even more than double 
what the estimated budget was. And so that, that really, you know, caused us to rethink and reprioritize and defer uh, quite a bit of, of what we're doing. Uh, and, you know, we, we've actually had some bids come back with no responses. And some of this, you know, skilled labor is specialized. Some of the material is not very common. And to have no response on a bid really makes you open your eyes. And so, you know, the question is, how do we maintain our level of service while facing these issues? And, and you know, the question then follows up, do we pay more? Do you just bite the bullet and raise rates and, and you know, you know, burden our customers with this, that it's real cost, we're not doing anything that, that's out of line, but, you know, these are real costs that we're facing. Or do we just reduce our, our, our maintenance? Do we reduce our capital program? You know, the number of projects we're doing and the type of projects we're doing. Do we reduce our internal expectations? Uh, that's a hard one for me because, you know, we have a, a long history of, of, of low rates, high reliability, customer services at the top, and if we start backing off some projects that we feel are necessary, if we start backing off on some of our maintenance that we, we know is required, there's going to be a level of, of service that drops off. And it may not be immediate, <laughs> but it's going to be there. And, and that's going to be disappointing to our, our customers for sure. It's going to be disappointing to our employees because we have such a high level and high expectation of what our service should be. Um, what we've done. Uh, as, as possible solutions to this is we have to change the way we think about how we design the system. We have to change the way we think about material standards. We always have certain standards, the material, certain material quality that's at the highest level. We want it to last for 30, 40, 50 years. We don't want it to fail you know, within months or a couple of years of deploying it on the system. We might have to change that depending on what the supply is and what the material actually is. But we may have to you know, adapt and put something that may not be standard on our system, but it has to work for now because I would rather put something in the field, continue our level of service, high quality, as opposed to not having it at all, have to drastically change something uh, on the outside. And so we have to maybe change our expectation, change the way we think and, and not lower the design standards the material standards, just change them. something that we're not used to, something that we're not quite there on um, We also may have to defer some of our means, defer some of our capital projects. We've done that already. Uh, we, we've actually um, you know, had a plan in place for, for our, our current year. We, we, we've had to move some of those projects into next year just because of some of the price increases, drastic price increases that we've seen. We had to make decisions on what's the highest priority, what impacts our customers the most right now. And so we made decisions. We prioritize and reprioritize. We do that periodically, probably no less frequent than once a month. But so we're always looking at those projects that are on the books and some of our maintenance. And, and that's that's the short term because honestly, I don't know if you know uh, uh, the size of Lafayette and our utility system. We don't have a lot of buying power to be able to to, to change the the market, change the industry. But we have to change some things internally. You know about how we implement uh, material design and install material on our system that may not be our standard, but but it's not a good solution. But it's the solution that we're we're in front of right now, and, and we're implementing. Another short term, you know, challenge that we're facing is is the fuel and energy market volatility. Uh, we have seen record high fuel costs on our system. In fact, um, I, I get the uh, 
unfortunate task of setting our fuel rate each month. And it's going up and up and up over the last several months. And it's at a, at a high now where, you know, I've, I have never seen it this high, at least for this sustained amount of time. You know, in the years past, when we've had spikes in our fuel costs. It's a natural disaster, a hurricane or a freeze or something that caused a short-term spike in, in, in costs. This has been sustained. And, and there's a lot of reasons why. Coming out of COVID didn't help, you know, I guess people came out of COVID so quick that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see perhaps the industry can't quite keep up to, to where we need to be. The, the global activities have created a number of uncertainties in the market. Now, there, there's now a demand for exporting, you know, natural gas from the U.S., which has caused a you know, demand, supply demand price issue on, on natural gas. And, and so what we're seeing is, you know, we, we generate the natural gas, we generate the coal. We're seeing the electric market itself react to those increases. Speaking of coal, you know, we think, all right, well, if natural gas is high, let's move to, to our coal unit. Well, in 2014, the natural gas you know, really dropped off and decreased in price. Um, you know, people moved away from coal to natural gas because of the economics of it. And, you know, it really stayed that way for years and years and years until late last year, late 2021. And you know, now we're seeing a movement back toward coal, including us. But the supply, you know, it was hard to, to, for these companies, either the, you know, the miners or, or the rail transporters to, to ramp up to meet that demand because it had been so low for so long. And so it's creating, you know, some, some you know, grid uncertainty, some fuel uncertainty. It's driving prices up, and, and we're having to, to you know, withstand it and, and actually pass those costs on directly to our customers. Remember, we don't have a we don't have a, a, a magic checkbook out there that we can offset these costs. And so, you know, we're we're very direct with our customers about what's going on, what the impacts are, and you know, some solutions. We're trying to um, you know purchase power. We're trying to you know stabilize. I call it reduce risk. If I can buy power on the grid uh, through through the market or, or from a bilateral deal, I, I can at least know going into that day, that month, whatever it is, how much a portion of my fuel cost is going to be, and I can stabilize. You know, I, I think our customers are okay with stability, and as opposed to the volatility. Volatility makes them makes them uneasy about their own budgets, and so we we you know I hate to call it a hedge, but I guess it is a hedge. Um, but, but we're trying to stabilize our fuel in, in the coming months. We do that by purchasing power. We've taken some action to do that, to stabilize it. We're not here to, at this point, we, we, don't, we don't have good ways of, of reducing our fuel costs, but we can stabilize it for sure. Um, we're also looking at generating uh, internally. Again, it won't reduce our cost, but we have natural gas generators inside the city of Lafayette. And if I know what my gas costs are for that date, that operating day, I know what my energy costs are going to be. And I can offset any fluctuations in the market with what I'm doing with those generators. And so what our solutions to the fuel and energy market volatility is, is reduce the risk as much as you can and stabilize as much as you can. The cost, we don't see it anyway for the next, you know, 8, 10, 12 months. We don't see the cost coming down um, as much as, as we'd like them to see. Certainly not as much as we saw over the last few years. Just to give you some perspective, um, you know, our fuel costs uh, last year were, you know, just short of four cents per kWh. We're now charging 8.2 cents per kWh. 
Uh, and, and it has all everything to do with uh, natural gas increases, electric market increases, and the volatility around. Long term, you know, we have to make decisions um, you know, long term on, on generation. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that we were able to retire some old, outdated, inefficient generation in 2017. We ended up doing that formally. We're also we also own. Uh, half the output of a coal plant in Louisiana that's operated by an investor-owned. There's a joint action agency co-owner as well. So we own half the output. It's a major resource for us. And some of the environmental rules that have come down, we evaluated and we decided that compliance is best met by moving away from coal. <clears throat> we did a very thorough integrated resource plan a couple of years ago and kind of set up those, those action items. So moving forward, you know, we have a few years to, to get to that point. <laughs> Moving forward, we need to decide what our fuel mix is going to be. What type of, of generation are we going to replace it with? Um, you know, is it going to be natural gas? Is it going to be renewable? Is it going to be a mix of it? And I think our, 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 our you know, path that's set up now is going to be a mix. We're not sure exactly, you know, when and where, but it's going to be a mix of, of renewables and be a mix of, of natural gas. With, But, you know, What's next from an environmental rule perspective? And that's, it kind of goes back to the risk, you know, train of thought. You know, I can make a decision today, but what happens if the federal government or state government changes their rules, you know, and we have to adapt to it. You know, as we're talking today, I, I know that uh, the Supreme Court has come out with a, with a ruling on um, West Virginia versus the EPA, and that could really change things. There's a lot to unwrap there, so I don't want to assume anything is going to happen you know, with as a result of that ruling, but it could really change the way electric utility looks at generation in the future. You know, if if the the ruling stated that you know Congress must codify the rules, I, you know, what does that look like? How is it going to turn? What is it going to turn into? Regardless, we have to make decisions on the next thirty or forty years of generation very soon. You may not be able to wait on some of those rules and and, and restrictions to be codified. And so, you know, we have to decide, you know, what, what is our internal goals for generation? What are, you know, we want to be good partners and, and, and good, you know, um, citizens of the state of Louisiana. What's the state looking at? You know, there is a climate action plan in the state of Louisiana. When's it going to be implemented? What is the impact on, on Lafayette? And then nationally, you know, what are the rules and regulations that are going to come out, maybe out of today's ruling, but, but generally, what are the rules and regulations that we have to follow? You know, we have to make decisions today. I, I, I feel really uneasy about making decisions uh, based on rules that change every four years. So I, I would hope that there's something that becomes a, a law that's been, been properly passed. So, you know, that's the long-term struggle that we have. We have to make decisions very soon on what our generation mix is going to be. I, I would say the solutions to it, we have to. We just have to make decisions based on what we know now. We, we can assume some things in the future, and, and some of our assumptions related to moving away from coal are related to carbon rules and regulations. You know, what the, what the financial impact of implementing some type of carbon capture would be on, on a coal unit, or is it better for us to take the money we would invest there and invest it in a new generating resource that, that might utilize newer technologies, might burn a little cleaner, and we can reduce our risk of being subject to an environmental rule. We also have to be very uh, deliberate in, in the decision-making. I see we have some decisions coming up soon. 
But we, we've taken the last two years, and we're probably going to take the next year or two to really look at all of our options. We, we can't make a hasty decision. I do not want to be serial number one on anything. We, we can't afford to fail. But I do want to be very deliberate, see what see what's available, see, you know, kind of gauge the landscape of what the rules and regulations will be and then make decisions based on that. And then really part of that process is you know, evaluating your resources and what your demand is going to be in the future. You know, do resource planning. We call it an integrated resource plan. Do the resource planning, you know, find out what the new technologies are, do a technology assessment. And we've done that and, and we periodically review those things. We don't have a mandate to do that. We just feel like it's proper and prudent to do it on behalf of our customers. Another long-term challenge is customers' consumption are absolutely changing. And it has been that way for probably 10 to 12 years. Um, We have turned into an IT utility, which means we have smart meters on the electric and water system. We give that information back to the customer directly. We have customer portals set up. They can view their meter data. They can understand their consumptions. They understand when they have problems, let's say water leaks and things like that. We're giving our customers a lot of information. With that information, they're educating themselves. We're helping them through that process as well. And they are much smarter about their consumption, much more aware about their consumption than they had been in the past, which is a terrific thing. I think that's that's very beneficial to the customers. But their consumption habits, efficiencies in appliances, insulation, uh, lighting, you know, LED lighting, that's changed their their level of consumption, how much they're using each month. And that is absolutely impacting our revenue. And so we have to adapt to it. I want our customers to be the most efficient customer in, on our system. But we have to also realize that's going to impact how you know, we generate money for, for reinvestment on our electric system and really all across our three utilities. It, it also impacts how we design and size equipment. A 2,000 square foot home in 2022 does not consume the same amount of electricity it did 15 or 20 years ago. It doesn't reach the same demand. And so do we need to evaluate you know, our load factors at the, at the customer level? Do we need to resize our transforms? Do we need to change something on our system? Do we need to adapt to it? That, that has a, that's a new impact on us. Maybe not a cost impact, but just, again, you know, we have standards set up for a reason. Do we need to adjust and adapt those things? And how do we how do we get to it? What's the solutions to it? Number one, based on the revenue, uh, I think it is really where we have to adapt. You know, on, on a more drastic level, do a cost of service analysis. Figure out where our costs are incurred and what the proper and applicable or the proper application of those costs should be in a rate structure. <clears throat> and for us, we had to take a, a really hard look at what our fixed costs are, what our variable costs are, what our fixed revenue is, and what our variable revenue is. And we have to make sure that, that our costs and our, our rates closer align to what reality is, as opposed to what we were in the past. You know, there is value to being interconnected to an electric utility. We may not recover that value in our current fixed costs. So we have to look at that. And say, well, you know, customer, you know, I'll use my name, Jeff Stewart. You're a customer. You know, you you are connected to us. You're not using as much, but there's still value to it. It takes a lot to make that reliability happen. So here's what your new fixed costs are. But at the same time, it doesn't take as much uh, variable cost. It depends on your consumption. So as you lower your consumption, 
your that part of your bill will go down. So you, you can make those changes on your own. But we have to give our customers that option. We're also exploring time of use. You know, we want to be able to defer as much capital investment as we can uh, by allowing our customers to change their, their train of thought, change their mindset, change their uh, consumption habits. And so the solutions around you know, customers changing their, 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 their consumption habits and really on the water and the electric is to allow them you know, information, you know, change the rates accordingly, let them adapt and adjust so they can uh, realize those savings. And that's, I, I think, you know, there's probably a lot more out there and every utility has a different challenge in front of them. But I'll look at, you know, kind of from a more global perspective, those are the biggest short-term and long-term challenges that, that LUS is facing today. Great. Now, you just mentioned time of use rates. Is that, um, are you guys in a pilot stage with that or where we're, are you at with that? Yeah, we're, we are actually, we studied it, we evaluated it. We have some proposals that we're still, you know, going over internally. And I would hope in the next, you know, six months or so that we'll be able to roll something out that, that at least introduces it on a pilot level, let people mm. opt into it. We don't want to make it mandated yet. We're not ready to, to force anybody into it, but we want to allow people who are, who are savvy, who, who want to conserve, who want to save money, uh, the ability to opt into that, that time of use rate. Uh, but we don't have one yet. We're still evaluating and refining it, but we hope to, to introduce it in, in the coming uh, half year. Okay, great. Um, so now you touched upon renewable energy in the context of um, utilities overall um, generation portfolio. Um, could you expand um, on, on that topic of, you know, renewable energy in the context of your portfolio over the coming years? Sure. You know, the, the integrated resource plan that I mentioned we completed in, in 2020 defined really three paths. One of those paths was you know, look at look at the market for purchase power agreements related to, to renewable energy. We identified solar as, as the most likely uh, option in Louisiana. And so, um, you know, late in 2020 into 2021, we, we solicited proposals and we, we got a number of proposals, really good uh, engagement with, with a lot of developers. And, and we're, we're now negotiating contracts uh, related you know, to those proposals. So we're not quite there yet, but but we are pursuing the IRP laid out a path that said pursue 50 megawatts a year for five years, get up to 250 megawatts. And just for comparison uh, purposes, uh, our peak all time peak is 500 megawatts. So so just to, to give everybody you know, who's listening you know, kind of some some relative sense, but you know 250 megawatts that's a that's a huge chunk. That's a lot to to, to go after. What we decided to do is, is give people option, give developers option if they wanted to respond to our request for proposals, you know, give them a range. So we actually laid it out 150 to 300 megawatts of, of uh, renewable. We, did, we didn't limit solar, although we knew solar was going to be the response. And, and we got, like I said, we got a, a number of, of terrific responses and we're in the final stages now. But, you know, I think that, you know, moving forward, you know, and this, this is probably going to apply to, to all 50 states and, and all the territories, but I do believe that that renewables will become a part of, of every utility's operation. It might be on different scales. Some utilities might actually want to own and operate. We're looking right now just to purchase the output and, and, and partner with somebody um, you know, for, for various reasons. But I do think that in our, in, in, in our perspective, you know, we're looking to stabilize rates. That, that's a big thing for me. That, that's something that I've I started, you know, making multiple comments around our office about, you know, especially with the volatility lately, 
let's look for ways that we can stabilize the rates. Um, you know, I think I think a long-term purchase power agreement, whether it's it's you know, traditional fuels or renewables, is a way to do that. But while we're while we're in the negotiating stage of, of renewables, let let's look at some of those things. It um, also, you know, there's an environmental friendly component to it, right? I mean, we 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 want to stay compliant with every rule and regulation. We have to stay compliant, and, and we're, we're devoting our resources to that. But just from a from a citizen perspective, I, I'd like us to to see us move. And incorporate some level of renewable energy. Um, you know, I, I know there's there's discussions about you know um, uh, in Louisiana, especially about you know land rights and all that. But you know, we're going to get over all those humps, and we're, we're going to actually implement some of the, the renewable uh, proposals that are out there. I just want to see us, you know, move into that. There's benefits to it. Um, you know, there's there's you know there's there's we're not subject to some of the fluctuations out there for you know gas supply even. Uh, you know, Louisiana, we have a lot of cloudy and rainy days, but you can still get output during those time periods. I think the, the technology has advanced so much that it can be utilized in, in, in South Louisiana. And so I, I'm, I'm a proponent of it. I do believe, though, that there should be a balance of, of renewables with, with what we all call dispatchable generation. You know, renewables are certainly solar may peak at certain times of, of the midday. And the utility might peak its demand later in that day. So you got to have the ability to serve customers. And so I, I look and going forward, I look at, at LUS of implementing a balanced uh, portfolio, um, natural gas and renewables, specifically solar. And, and what we've done during our integrated resource planning process, we met with a number of our larger, larger customers. Uh, you know, we have a large university in, in Lafayette. We have uh, some some major, you know, I'd say I wouldn't say manufacturing, but some major commercial customers, business customers. We also have hospitals, you know, and, and uh, it, it's a, it's a big part of our community, and, and so we engage with them very directly. We actually invited them into a meeting, talked about what what you're looking for, and some of the feedback we got was, you know, some of their you know, suppliers, vendors, customers, patients, students, you know, they want them each of them individually. To incorporate more renewable sustainability type things. And so what we've done is we've gone to each of those customers and said, here's, here's our plan. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we think we can help you. And, and we've had some really good engagement with those, those larger customers. And I think it's benefited them, benefited us to, to get an idea of what they want. Because this is, you know, our system belongs to the city of Lafayette. It belongs to the people of Lafayette. So we wanted to really get a good idea of, of what, you know, those business uh, customers want. And it helped us kind of shape what our policy looks like going forward. But, you know, there, there are, you know, people have, you know, corporations have renewable standards, mandates. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of, of, of you know, the university here is looking at doing a, a renewable curriculum. You know, they have a solar facility and a lab that's being constructed now. You know, they're, they're looking at some of these types of ideas. And if we're their electric provider, we can help them achieve whatever goals they want by, by being a, a very direct um, you know, supplier of their electricity. So renewable energy is going to be a major component for us. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a percent, you know, of what our mix is going to be. I don't have an idea of where I would, you know, level off, but, you know, I, I do think it's going to be a major part of what we're doing. It should be, I think that's where the industry is growing. And a lot of it's based on economics, but there are some environmental uh, considerations to make. And I think we're well on our way to, to meeting our own internal goals. So, Jeffrey, just my, my uh, wrap-up question for you is if you could talk about your long-term goals uh, that you'd like to achieve as director of LUS. Sure. You know, 
LUS has been around for 125 years. We're actually celebrating our 125th anniversary this year. We were voted on by the people. We're governed by the people. And there have been a lot of, of really great leaders over the years, really you know, forward thinkers. I, I would call them even innovators. And, and you know, our, our reputation is high quality of service, low rates, um, you know, community involvement, you know, all those things that are important you know, that to our customers and, and to our community. You know, that's what I want to sustain that. You know, that, that's kind of an easy answer to, to say, but that's really where I'll start out. You know, LUS has been such a, a positive for Lafayette community. I want to make sure that that stays the same way and maybe even elevate us uh, in some regards. We have to continue our tradition. One of the ways to do that is engage with our customers more directly. Uh, there were some things that happened a couple of years ago in, in Lafayette at LUS that really ignited, I think, uh, our customers' passion for LUS. And uh, what what we're looking at is, you know, they, they saw LUS as, as their, their system, which it truly is. They were passionate about it. They wanted to, to retain the, the, the way things were operated. You know, today they want to keep that for tomorrow. What I want to do is go back out to our customers and say, Here's your utility. Open up our books. Open up our plans. You know, I, I've, over the last few months, I've been on a number of speaking engagements just to get us out in front of our customers, to tell them what's going on, to let them know, get their feedback on things, to work with them on whatever, you know, community plans they may have that, that may be good, good ideas. You know, we're not, we're not the only ones with good ideas in life yet. We have, you know, 120, 150,000 residents in the city that are all really engaged in what you know they want Lafayette to look like in the future. So we want to get out there. I want, I want, to, I want them to, to feel like they are part of this utility. You know, we're responsible for the day-to-day operation. We're responsible for making good decisions. And that's a huge responsibility, but we have to have community support, community feedback in order to do that. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I really started to elevate that, that you know, COVID was a, was a big hit to us as, as far as that, but, now that those uh, restrictions are being relaxed, we can really get out there. You know, our responsibility is to make good decisions. Uh, we have to re- remain compliant in all the environmental rules and regulations that are out there, you know, that, that not just on the federal level. There's a lot of state rules and regulations uh, that we have. Uh, you know, we, we operate electric water and sewer, and everything's changing. Everything's evolving over time. Um, I, I want to be very optimistic and say everything's getting better. Uh, but but it is some of our challenges, so we have to make sure that we can meet those requirements uh, to remain in compliance and never fall short of what those expectations are. Uh, one thing that I really am excited about is advancing technology. Uh, we, we like I mentioned earlier, we've had some really good leaders over the years, and, and they've implemented some systems and, 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 and equipment and technology that that's really brought us to a level where we can expand on that. And I'm talking about smart meters, the advanced metering infrastructure. Uh, we have smart meters on the electric and water system. They've been really good for us to get information, to be able to troubleshoot, to plan, to do some things. We've also turned it around and given customers their own information, their consumptions. You know, we, we make um, notifications to customers on, on high water uh, volumes, which, which tells them, I might have a leak. Let me go check on everything. You know, we want to engage more. Where we're, we, and I've got a demo the other day, which I'm thrilled about, a new outage management system. Uh, it's really engaged, you know, we engage with, with our, our staff, figure out what do we need, what do we want to do, and now we're, we're determining how, what information and how are we going to give that information to our customers. And so, you know, the outage map is coming and some more thing, you know, outage alerts 
your text messages, those types of things that I think customers really want. I want to advance those technologies, you know, put them on the system. You know, outside of those, the technologies that we're looking at in the electric system, we're doing a lot more automation. You know, we've gone from electromechanical to, to microprocessor. You know, we're trying to, to change, you know, some of our, again, go back to the standards, change and update our standards to meet those uh, changes that are that are happening in the industry. And again, our, our staff is really good about it. They're all willing to learn and, and, and you know, take on the responsibility. Um, you know, another, another thing that I want to do is make sure that we are adaptable to changes. You know, we have a number of policies in place, procedures in place, and those are good. Those are there for a very good reason, too. And I want to make sure that just because that's how it's been done always, we can't look at other ways of doing things because the only way a policy changes is, is looking outside of the rules and boundaries of that policy. And so um, my, my, my charge to the staff is do everything ethically and do, but let's look, let's think outside. Let, let's figure out ways that we can adapt because if we've always done something, but if that something is changing, we need to be able to adapt to it. We can't wait for it to happen. We have to be out in front of it. Um, you know, our employees are our greatest assets. They are, are you know, the, 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 the heartbeat of our utility system, their dedication, their commitment. You know, we are all public servants. Uh, we do things uh, for the good of, of our customers. There's no other, you know, I guess, distractions. Uh, there, there are no other motivations. Uh, we, we do things. Everything that we do is for our customers' benefit. We have to be able to retain those employees. We have to be able to incentivize them to stay. And so we're working on a few things. Um, you know, we're trying to get more volunteers. We're, we're trying to get, you know, we want to get our employees volunteering in the community, get them more engaged. And I think that's just going to improve the morale, make, make this a, a, it's already a great working you know, environment, but make it even better. Uh, but but that I really want to just pay special attention to our employees and how we develop I would give them, you know, professional development. I would be, let them grow, expand their responsibilities, and then ultimately make them better employees. And, and really, the last thing, and again, it's one of those simple, simple statements. But I want to make Lafayette proud. This system belongs to the citizens of Lafayette. Uh, it has been. They have they have met every challenge uh, over the years. You know, there have been a number of political wins that have have uh, shifted over time, and they have always stood the course. They've always stood by LUS. And I want to make sure that we keep our reputation, maintain your reputation, elevate your reputation so that they're proud of their system. They know that we're doing things the right way for the right reasons. And there's never any hesitation about the benefits and what we do for this community. And so, that, again, that's kind of I've set up a few things. Some of them are very you know, specific and tangible. Some of them are more high level. But I, I just think that the long term goals that we have uh, really, really uh, are based on. 125 years of history that we have. Great. Well, Jeffrey, thanks so much for taking the time uh, today to speak with us. Um, we obviously covered a lot of ground and um, love to, to plan on speaking with you at uh, some point, maybe uh, early next year or mid-year to get, get an update on all the, the exciting things that are going on at LUS. Absolutely, Paul. Anytime. Uh, again, uh, thank you for having me on today. And I am, I am proud to represent our utility, and anytime somebody wants to talk about LUS, I'll sign up. Terrific. terrific. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. Public Power Now comes to you from the American Public Power Association and is produced by APPA Digital Content Director David Blaylock. I'm Paul Champoli, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power. <laughs>